From Parkway Church in Kurana, this is the Parkway Podcast. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you today as you listen. If you would like to know more information on who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. Awesome. All right, well, today we're going to continue in our series, The Practice of Prayer. So over the last few weeks, Pastor Call has been walking us through what it looks like to come before the Lord, to make time and space to be still, be quiet, and to hear from him. Just last week, we dove into the Lord's Prayer where we were challenged to reflect on who we view God to be. We understand that he can be approached intimately and should be approached reverently. So today we're going to dive into another important element of our prayer lives, confession. So the act of coming before God and allowing him to bring what is in the dark to light. And we're going to define that a little more just a little bit later. So why do we practice confession? Because of sin. The concept of sin all began in Genesis 3, the moment that Adam and Eve responded to temptation by acting against the command, the will of God. This is when sin was introduced to the world. God had told Adam and Eve that they would die should they eat the forbidden fruit. But the enemy deceived Eve by telling her that she wouldn't die. He told her that she would gain knowledge, knowledge of good and evil. But we can see now that Eve didn't necessarily see in that moment of temptation is that to gain this knowledge would require her to sin against God and sin results in death. If you're reading along with me, you can open your Bibles again in Genesis 3, but maybe you're familiar with this story. You'll see that when Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit, they became aware that they were naked and attempted to cover up. They then heard the voice of the Lord and tried to hide from God. This is because for the first time, Adam and Eve were experiencing something we've all experienced before, guilt and shame, and they attempted to hide from the presence of God. So if you would stand with me, we're going to read our main scripture for today, and then we'll pray. should be up on the screen, too. Psalm 139, verses 1 to 3, and then we're going to jump down to verse 7. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. And then verse 7, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? So God, we just come before you, Lord, and as we already have this morning, but God, would you help us to focus on your word, God? God, whatever you have for us, that you would, there would be a seal on what you do today, Lord God, that it would, we wouldn't leave without spending time with you, Lord God, and actually listening to what you have for us, God, that we would leave this room changed because of what you're doing. So God, help me be sensitive to your spirit. Only your words would come from my mouth. In Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So we're going to come back to that verse in a moment. But first, in order to understand the practice of confession, 
we have to talk about sin. Exciting. To be completely honest, I think that sin um, has become a little bit of a forgotten reality within our culture today. Sin has become blurry and a little bit, um, while simultaneously becoming, like going in a box a little bit within our circles. In some spaces, sin has even become disregarded and ignored. It's become non-existent to many. We live in a culture that champions and romanticizes living in brokenness to the point where we've stopped recognizing sin as sin. To acknowledge what the Bible says about sin is to go against much of what society would actually consider normal, liberating, exciting, and actually expected or even justified. And it's easy for us to point fingers at the non-Christians, right, and deny our part in it all. But in order to truly understand what the Bible tells us about sin and the need for confession, we must begin to consider that the sinners are not just found outside of these walls, but very much so within them. Sin is uncomfortable to talk about because in order to do so, we must acknowledge that maybe, just maybe, we can get it wrong. And nobody likes to be wrong. So whether you've been in church for a while or maybe it's your first time here today, congratulations, we're talking about something a little bit uncomfortable, but it's good. If you, whether or not, you're probably aware of the Ten Commandments. So this is found in the book of Exodus. It's here that Moses goes up to Mount Sinai and the Lord um, gives him the ways of right living and Moses shares it with the people. So we're going to look at them really quickly here. So number one is, you shall have no other gods before me. Number two, do not make any graven images. Number three, do not take the Lord's name in vain. Number four, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Number five, honor your father and mother. Number six, do not murder. Now this one, this one seems really easy. And when I was younger, I was like, oh, like I can check that off my list today. I didn't murder anybody. And you think like, oh, I'm doing good. Until you remember that God actually considers um, like hatred and bitterness and uh, ill intention towards others as murder. And then I have to erase my check mark and I have to go talk to God because sometimes I get a little bit feisty or whatever. It's fine. Number seven, do not commit adultery. Number eight, do not steal. Number nine, do not bear false witness. And number 10, do not covet, or in other words, envy. So for those of you who have been in the church for a while, it can be easy to chalk up sin to these 10 commandments. If you don't do these, you're fine, right? But no, there's a little bit more to it. Now, we could take some time to unpack each uh, and every commandment today, which I encourage you to do, but we're not going to do that today. Instead, I'm going to share with you what they all have in common. In order to break any of these commandments, in order to sin, all you or I have to do is decide that we don't trust God. To believe that you have the resources and abilities to live apart from him. To think just for a moment, listen, God said this, but... And then act accordingly. 
The author of Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools puts it really well. He says, and that's what the Bible calls sin, good desire channeled through the wrong means. Sin is shorthand for any attempt to meet our deep needs by our own resources. And so we can get so caught up in the keeping of the rules and pointing fingers and take on an approach of condemnation based on legalities that we actually forget that sin isn't just a specific breaking of rules, it's a heart issue. This is what happened with Adam and Eve. They had an abundance of fruit in the garden that they could have had. It wasn't about just wanting fruit and breaking the rules to get it. It was the fact that they believed that God was holding out on them and that they could change that by their own means. And to be honest, I mean, maybe it's just me, but I'm sure many of us can say we felt before like God is holding out on us. Maybe it's within your finances, healing, within our struggle with anxiety and depression, opportunities, relationships. As we find ourselves in the waiting, in the wrestling, in the comparison traps, we allow the enemy and even just ourselves to convince us to question our trust in God. So you see, sin is not just breaking some rules, it's denying a call to obedience, denying radical trust, and instead submitting to the temptation that we feel in these moments. In Genesis, we watch Adam and Eve go from unashamed to ashamed due to exactly this. So what do Adam and Eve do when they begin to feel the weight of their shame? They hide. I want to share a story with you that came to mind as I was preparing for this Sunday. It's a little story about little Hannah, about 10 years old. And um, yeah, so when I was a kid, I was terrified of doing anything wrong. Um, which is weird because I'm a little bit of a rebellious spirit now, but however, back then I was like, I am not doing anything wrong. I'm going to be the perfect child. And I remember this one time in particular where my mom had fallen asleep on the couch and I found a lighter. <laughs> and if I found a lighter, I definitely knew where the lighter was. I, I, I don't, what's it called when you really like fire? that. So I think I was that when I was a kid. I was obsessed with lighters. And so my mom had told me plenty of times before, do not play with the lighter. She would say, she would even go as far as to tell me what would happen if I did. She wasn't like, just don't do it. I was like, well, why? She's like, because you will burn yourself or you could, you could start a fire. But on this particular day, I thought, she's sleeping. She won't even notice. I'm responsible. I'm not going to burn myself. And I didn't burn myself. But I did start a fire. <laughs> oh, gosh, it's coming back to me. It's fine. So I'm not talking like a little fire. I'm talking flames, like real flames. There I am sitting on the floor doing my homework. And I'm like... I'm on the floor, there's a blanket hanging below me, and I just, like, am playing with the lighter. And about the fifth time, 
the, the blanket just erupts in flames. I get the, I, and it, it was fast. I wasn't expecting it to be, well, I wasn't expecting it all, but I definitely wasn't expecting it to be that fast. So I look over and my mom is sound asleep, praise God. And I run to the kitchen, I grab a bowl of water and I just like, I don't even know, like I just did what I could and, and the, the fire went out. And so I look, the blanket is burnt and the smell of pure fear and smoke filled our living room. So I did what, I, what any responsible 10-year-old would do. I flipped the blanket around and hid the burn marks, and I sprayed some Febreze. So gross. Eventually, my mom woke up. Hey, mom. Um, she woke up, and I gaslit her. If you know what gaslighting is, it's the worst, but I did it. I'm so sorry, mom. I attempted to go, smell? <laughs> what smell? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I attempted to hide the evidence, and I avoided her for the next couple of hours. Eventually, I ended up feeling guilty, and I told her. I feel like she probably knew, but I don't know. Moms know that thing. I disobeyed my mom, and I justified it by telling myself that she was wrong. I was bored, and I thought that it would be a boredom cure. I didn't have any intentions of burning our house down. I just wanted my desire. I wanted to no longer be bored. I wanted that need to be met. And when it turned south, I tried to hide. You did it maybe when you were a kid or maybe you have kids and you see them do it, that like maybe they hide, maybe they don't. I was a hider. The truth is, is that we were not meant to bear the weight of guilt and shame. So when we encounter the thoughts and emotions, the feelings that come with this, we will do just about anything to get away from it, to ignore it, to forget about it. But what we tend to struggle with is confessing. When Adam and Eve heard God coming, they became scared, attempted to cover their shame. Um, yeah, attempted to cover their shame. When I saw my mom waking up, I became scared and tried to hide all evidence. The thing about shame is that it tends to convince us that we are better off allowing sin to crush us in secret than to confess and deal with it in the open. Sin will convince you that all you are is a product of your mistakes. Sin's only purpose is to lead us to dark places, to have us live in secret, and to separate us from our gracious, forgiving, loving Father. And if you haven't noticed what you are attempting to keep in the dark become divisive in your relationship with God, then you probably have your foot a little more in the world than you think. If you're not noticing that struggle, if you're not noticing that blockage. So let's go back to the story of Adam and Eve to the point where God begins to ask some questions. The first question he asks is, where are you? And you see, Adam and Eve don't answer. Adam actually, or at least answer with where they are, Adam responds from a place of shame and says, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. God then follows up 
with a second question. Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? So the first thing to notice there is, again, even when God asked where Adam was, he was still attempting to hide. God reached out, gave an opportunity for Adam and Eve to come out, and they didn't. After he asks about how they know that they were naked, that's God sharing that Adam and Eve, with Adam and Eve that he is aware that in order for them to have known that they were naked, they would have to have gained knowledge. He had wanted to protect them from that knowledge. To be completely honest, I used to read that passage of scripture in a really harsh tone. But as I've grown with the Lord, and honestly, even just through preparing for this Sunday, I'm now reading it in the tone of like a father who's in pain, someone who's grieving for his kids, the aching heart of the father who is watching his children experience pain a hindrance that he never intended or willed for them. Again, I love what Tyler Statton has to say about this interaction. He says, sin defined by biblical imagination is not an accusation or a condemnation. It's just a diagnosis. It's a trip to the doctor's office where, you're just, where you describe your symptoms and discover that there is a name for this disease. The trouble with disease is that it gets in the way of doing what we were made to do, live free, healthy lives using our bodies according to their design. So with disease, if left without acknowledgement or treatment, it begins to affect our quality of life and how we experience things around us. And just like this, when the symptoms of sins are left without acknowledgement and treatment, we suffer. To not address sin is to actively reject relationship with God. It keeps us from knowing him and getting to know ourselves in his image. Sin manipulates us and distracts us from our purpose in Christ to love and to receive love. So what do we do once we acknowledge the ways in which we have sinned against God? We acknowledge our need for forgiveness. We acknowledge the practice of confession. You see, while our instincts tell us to run from the presence of God, it is in his presence that we will find his unwavering and unearned love, mercy, and grace because this is his desire for us. We see that in 1 John 3, verses 19 to 20. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. So God doesn't dangle his grace above us like a chew toy to a dog. God wants us to accept his invitation not to run, but to rest in his presence to lay sin at his feet and all the symptoms that come with it. It's not that he brushes off our sin as not a big deal. It's that he loves us despite the big deal that it is. So he made a way through the sacrifice of his son so that sin would no longer keep us in bondage. 
so that sin could not take us away from our Abba Father. He calls us to holiness and makes it possible for us to be so, not by our own strength, but actually in our weakness confess to him. All we have to do to receive his grace is confess. And that's not because God withholds it, but rather because if we're far from him, how are we supposed to reach out and take what he's giving to us? We talked about culture a little earlier, talking about um, just the expectation of culture and sin, but God is a countercultural God. In the world of cancel culture, putting people on pedestals only to see them ripped down, we see a God of the universe, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who sets a place for us at his table. Despite our flesh, he invites us, but that's because it's not God's heart to condemn us, but to set us free from condemnation. We see that in scripture, and Pastor Call was talking about it earlier, Psalm 34, 22. The Lord redeems his servants. No one will be condemned who takes refuge in him. What that scripture is telling us is we literally get to run to our Father and hide in him, not the darkness, but to be covered in light. So we're going to jump back up um, to that verse we stood and read together earlier. I'll read it again. Psalm 139, verses 1 to 3, and then down to 7. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence. In verses 1 to 3, we get a glimpse of the psalmist's understanding of God's omniscience, acknowledging that God sees all and knows all, that God knows our thoughts and our ways. In verse 7, David asks two questions, where can I go from your presence and where can I flee from your presence? These questions are less of a literal question and more of an actual acknowledgement of the fact that God is with us and he knows us and that there's nowhere we can run and hide that he won't find us because he wants us. He is the ultimate accountability partner because he knows us and he loves us. So if God knows all and sees all, why do we need to confess? We confess not because God needs us to in order to know what's going on in our lives, in our hearts, and in our minds. We confess as an act of surrender. Confession is admitting our weakness and outwardly recognizing that we need God, the opposite of why we sin. As I was preparing for today, I, I felt prompted by the Holy Spirit that there's someone here today that needs to be reminded that confession is not a punishment. God didn't call us to confession to shame us. He doesn't sit there and wait so that he can look down upon us when we confess. Maybe in your marriage or in your relationship with a mother, a father, a parent, or a friend, you've been met with judgment and hostility when you need, needed to be met with grace and compassion. And now you're projecting that on God, believing that that 
that's how God's going to approach you when you approach him in confession. I believe that God wants you to know that confession is not a punishment. It is a gift. And confession is a safe place with God where he will remind you of the gospel message. To remind you that Christ died for your sins and that they do not get to keep you away from him any longer. To practice confession and to allow the gospel message to penetrate our hearts is to reject our inclination to trust ourselves over God. I'm talking really fast, so I'm going to be done earlier than I thought. Practical, my favorite part. So what does confession look like practically? And we're going to have, I'm going to have David come up. You can come up now. So I, we're going to simplify it into three points, easy to remember. The first is posture. As I mentioned before, Pastor Call preached a few weeks back a sermon titled, Be Still and Get Quiet. And I don't know about you, but that really challenged me. I'm not quiet often. And sometimes I approach prayer with, like, this posture of, like, get it done. Or, oh, I just need to, like, drop this off and I need to go. And I don't take time to actually hear from God and hear his response. And that, in my life and maybe in your life, has actually created this false image of how God responds to my sin, to our sin. Because I'm in a rush, I believe that God is in a rush. Because I'm a little bit like, I don't really want to do this, here it is, bye. I believe that God doesn't have time for me. I've believed that. But this isn't the truth. If we would posture ourselves, we would go into our safe place with God and allow him to respond to our obedience, to our confession, then maybe we would understand that, again, God isn't out to get us. He wants us to confess because he recognizes that when we don't confess, we're harboring. It's all just stuck in here. It keeps us away from him. So, of course, he wants us to confess. We're not, I'm not talking about, like, sin not having like the weight that it does, what I'm saying is that if we would take time to know our creator, to truly spend time with him, to posture ourselves, to get quiet, then we wouldn't question his love for us. Pastor Call mentioned this earlier, and while I was preparing for this week, I just like was so burdened is the wrong word, but like overwhelmed by the love of God. And understanding that God doesn't, like, anything in Scripture, that's a really bold statement, but anything in Scripture, like, when God calls us to do something, it's not because he's like, you have to do this. You have to do this, and I'm going to be really mad if you don't. He does it out of a place of compassion, out of protection. He says, I want you to confess because I know what it's doing to you. I know what hiding in the dark is doing to you. Number two, invite God to search your heart. David acknowledges that because God has searched him, God knows him. And not only because he sees all and knows all, but because David and God have an intimate relationship. Again, God knows, but he invites us 
to have a relationship with him where we can come before him. So when we invite God to see every room, every dark place, we invite God to search our hearts. It's not only an act of worship, but it builds our trust with him. We begin to see God as a God who invites us, that he doesn't stand so far away, but that he stands right beside us. And when we ask God to search our hearts, I was reading something earlier this week and I was looking at like Hebrew words and Greek words for things, but um, when I was looking up the word searched in Hebrew, and I'd have to, I didn't write it down, but essentially this word searched was also used to like explain like a very deep digging to find gold. And when I was reading that, I felt like, I was like, wow, like God wants to know me that deeply. And the aspect of gold, I believe that when we reveal the ugly, then God can refine that into beauty. So God's, God's asking us to invite him to search our hearts so that he can let us know it's that, it's right there. That thing that you've been hiding, that thing that you don't remember, that's what's keeping you. That's what's hurting you. That's what's harming you. I want to use that. I want to take it and I want to refine you. Number three, shine a light and call it out. I think we complicate confession because somewhere down the line we started to believe that it was a time where we came before God to convince him that we're worth forgiving. But plot twist, we're actually not. And so we can't convince God of that. There's no facts to back it up. But Jesus intercedes for us. He paid the cost. God doesn't want your convincing. He just wants your confession. So ask God to shine a light on the things that come between you and him. Invite him to examine you and lead you in self-examination. With an open heart, he will reveal things to you. He will encourage you to finally bring what you've been hiding to the light. That's scary to bring things to the light. Trust me, I'm not standing before you saying that confession is an easy thing or that it actually always feels good. It feels relieving when you go to a God who doesn't want to harm you but just wants to listen and wants to know you. It's relieving, but it's hard. It's hard to muster up that courage to come before the King of Kings and say, God, I I failed again. God, I didn't trust you. I tried to do it on my own. But he doesn't call you to anything that he won't give you the ability to do in his strength. So once you ask him to search your heart and he brings some things to the forefront of your mind, you don't just stop there. Because again, he already knew. It's your turn in submission, my turn, to confess it. 
to say it out loud. That's simple. God isn't a complicated God who makes us walk through mazes to get to him. He just wants us to say it. He is the God who is all things light. And once you confess and bring it to the Lord, the grip sin has releases, welcomes healing, and freedom becomes a reality. James 5, 16 says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. You were not meant to do this alone. Last night, someone had mentioned the power of walking with others, seeking accountability in trusted church family. I'm not saying that you gotta come up here and take the mic and tell me your deepest, darkest secrets. But what I am saying is that there are people around you who will meet you with the compassion and the mercy and the grace that the Father has met them with. And that's the thing, church. If we don't confess and we don't experience that in Jesus with God, then how are we supposed to love one another if we haven't actually allowed ourselves to experience the love that God has for us in like the places where we can't even t like pretend that we deserve it? Because I can like sit up here and be like, oh man, like I preached, you know, God loves, like he's so happy about that. He's glad I obeyed him. Like that would be easy. But when I have to meet with God and be like, oh yeah, I did not say the right thing. I was really mean. I was mean to that person or, or so on. That's where it, when it gets hard. So if we do that, then would we be the people who actually come alongside others as they confess and share their brokenness, share their sickness. When I was writing this, I deleted it because I didn't want to say it. <laughs> but I feel like the Lord is kind of bringing it back to my mind a little bit. As much as I really did feel like the Lord wanted to, wanted to, communicate his love and his grace and how he sees you in the darkness. Felt like that was a big thing. But I also wanted, I also felt that the Lord had challenged me and was asking me to bring it here. Like we talk about Jesus as the one who died for our sins. We are literally here in this room because we believe or we say, yeah, Jesus died for my sins. He's the savior of the world. I'm gonna worship him. But if we look, at least in my life, there are areas where I'm like, I am not living by that. I'm like living in condemnation. I'm judging myself. I'm being so hard on myself. And not in like a way of, oh, like I recognize that and I wanna change that. But in like, I need to hide and run. But who, like how dare we? say that we believe that Jesus is the savior of the world, but then we don't approach him like he is, or that we don't share like he is, that we don't actually allow that truth to penetrate our hearts and change the way we live. I am not the same as I once was before I knew Jesus, and I want him to continue renovating my heart and to change me. And I can get up here and I can sing and I can 
say all the right things, but if I'm not living in the grace and the mercy of God, if I am not experiencing that, if I am hiding instead of running to the Father, then like literally what's the point? (laughs) What's the point of sharing about Jesus in my workplace if I don't actually live by the word of God and exemplify that? So a little bit of application. We're gonna take a few moments and we're gonna allow, we're gonna invite God to search our hearts. We're gonna do that for a minute or so and then I'll uh, give you some instructions after that. So let's just take a moment and invite the Lord to search your Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message brought you closer with Jesus and gave you a better understanding of your walk with him today. If you would like to know more about who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at parkway.church.